The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. And now Shane Hannon from Off the Ball is uh, here with me. Shane, good morning. Morning, Pat. How are things? Um, you've been chatting with Ronnie O'Sullivan, and one of the things that prompted in you was a, a thought about uh, athletes and sports people generally as they near retirement. How worrying it becomes. Big time. Uh, look, Ronnie O'Sullivan, make, make no secret, my two big interests are space and snooker. I, I, Ronnie O'Sullivan is, is a fascinating character. It's the third time we've sat down and, and each time I'm left feeling more and more inspired. He's just one of these characters. There's a little bit of, there's a flawed genius to him. He's had those periods of bouts of uh, depression and, and addiction as well. Um, but he said something very, very poignant to me where he was talking at the end. I just asked him how he was and how he was with life at the moment. And, and, and he started pointing out that he was very, very uneasy with how he exits this game. He's 47 years of age, he's mm. approaching his, his half century. Uh, look, he can still he can still play snooker to a high degree, but it just got him thinking, I think, about, about how he exits the game. Uh, he's uncomfortable with the thought of retirement, but knows that that is around the corner. Um, but it was a beautiful, beautiful uh, interview with Ronnie from his perspective in that he just opens up. He's, he's in a place now where I think he's happy with himself. There's a lovely clip as well, and I think we have a clip to bring you as well, of Ronnie talking about his early days of snooker. We, look, you look at snooker clubs in Dublin now, there's so little of them mm-hmm. compared to what, what what once was when Ken Doherty won that World Championship in 97. And even the black ball final between Davis and Taylor in 85, huge interest. It's completely yeah. dissipated to, to different levels. Hopefully it picks back up again. But this is a short clip of Ronnie O'Sullivan uh, from the interview on Off the Ball where he's talking about his love of snooker and how that uh, all began. I always say, you know... Um Playing snooker as a junior, as an amateur in my snooker club days, they were like the best days of my, you know, my career. I loved it, you know. And you, you dream about turning pro and you turn pro, and it's great, you know. But then it all becomes a bit, you know, like a travelling circus. You're here, there, everywhere. Obviously, the pressure of people watching, you know, your everything you do is kind of like scrutinised, I suppose. But as an amateur and a junior, you know, it's just get your cue out. Ronnie O'Sullivan's. Uh, whoever table four, 14 and you get your little bit of paper and you go over there and you put your bit of paper on the side and there might be three or four people watching your game and then you win and you take your bit of paper up to the guy oh, one three two and he breaks over 50 you had a 69 72 and 81 okay and that goes on the list and you like and you sit around for an hour and a half and you wait for your name to be called out again and, and, I, and I always say I watched the Queen's Gambit and it was a little bit like when I was watching that and she was like you know she went up to get a, a you know where am I playing he was like I'll oh, give her a bit of paper and it just reminded me of when I was playing in the junior competitions and I and I loved them days more than any, winning any world championships any UK championships you can have all them my amateur days and my junior days all day long best days of my life yeah but he still loves the game and you can hear it in his voice um, he could continue to play though I mean people like Ray Reardon continued for a long long time but then others you see they just can't hack it anymore and what is it? Because if they went to give an exhibition, they would be stunningly good. Yeah, it's incredible because some, some players get the yips. The, it's like in golf and snooker, they yeah. get the yips and they almost forget how to play at a certain age. Like Stephen Hendry at 32, Steve Davis at 32, both just stopped, stopped winning. So they were dominant, completely dominant, but the dominance was, was confined to a period. Ronnie O'Sullivan didn't win his first World Championship until he was 25. That was back in 2001. So at that point, he's thinking, Jesus, I only have seven years left to win here because Davis and, and Hendry only stopped at, at 32. But we know that Ronnie's career has just been longevity personified. I mean, the class of 92, you have himself and John Higgins and Mark Williams that have gone on to, to, to do great things, 
even currently. So I think he will continue. What is your view as to the decline of snooker, both uh, from a playing point of view, how few younger people are playing it now, and from a television spectator point of view? Yeah, because I mentioned that black ball final in 85. 18 and a half million people watched that on, mm. on terrestrial television in, in England. When Ken Doherty won in 97, the, apparently wasn't one call into the, the Garda station in Dublin uh, across that night because everyone was just glued to the television sets. That's certainly a story uh, Ken tells. Um, but now I think a rent is one thing. A snooker hall takes up so much space. Even one snooker yeah. table so alone. What do, you ha- what do you have to charge to make that make exactly. financial sense? A lot of money. Now, young kids, I think, are going to get into it more and more. Players like Luca Brussel, who won the World Championship this year over in Sheffield. Exciting, attacking snooker. Um, and, and more tournaments being on TV as well. We, we'll get the Masters in the UK Championship and the World Championship, of course. But as long as it's on terrestrial TV, maybe TikTok in those areas as well can lean into snooker and these exciting talents. Uh, and maybe personalities like Ronnie. Now, you have another preoccupation, that is uh, the treatment of referees in, in all the codes, really. Uh, and uh, on Sky Sports, Gary Neville and Jamie Carrier got a, an interesting insight. Oh, this was fascinating this week, uh, Pat, on Monday, on Monday evening on the show. Um, they were basically, they had Howard Webb in studio, famous referee. A lot of people will recognise him, big bald head, 2010 World Cup final uh, referee. Uh, and he showed them the behind the scenes of the VAR decisions in Stockley Park. So it actually humanised referees, I felt, a little bit because we see them as these... Uh, characters who ruin the game they're there to just take out the fun from football um, but we heard the communication between the VR officials the linesmen and the referees mic'd up essentially very out of breath as you can imagine uh, the referees and linesmen particularly running around the pitch but for them to actually verbalise the decisions in real time and to actually hear that it made it a little bit easier to understand and appreciate the tough yeah. work they have. And the technology is not perfect, I know, because the other night there was a, a goal that was allowed to Liverpool when VAR had to look at it. And it seemed quite apparent to me that the Liverpool player, based on what they were showing me... yes. That the Liverpool player was offside. Exactly. And the decision making sometimes is, is, is a hair length in terms of those offside decisions. I think this communication, some people are calling for these mics to be fed into the television. Now, I don't know if that's the answer. I know in rugby it, it kind of works when you hear the referee. It works because the, the, there isn't the same level of, of obscenity. Yes. Well, uh, just generally speaking on the pitch. Exactly. Uh, and players would have to be more careful in what they say to referees and I mean, nowadays, well. you, you've, you've noted it, I'm sure, many times. The players uh, put their hands over their mouths so they cannot be lip read. <laughs> yeah, until you know, at the end of the match, when players are being close upped by uh, the guy with the steady cam yes. as they walk off the pitch, and they'll be chatting to each other, but their hands will be over their mouths to stop. And make, maybe they're making plans for what they're going to do that night. I think uh, could, so. could be one element of it. But but certainly in, in terms of the behaviour of referees or the, the treatment towards referees and officials, I think sh- sometimes explaining the rationale behind these decisions and telling the public how they, they came to these decisions can only help. And they actually held their hands up and showed a couple of incidents that in hindsight they said, we got this wrong. And they actually apologised and they said, we apologise to clubs and to officials when we get these decisions can, wrong. Can, can you explain to me why in sports uh, like hockey and rugby, there's complete respect for the referees. And I would say in Championship and uh, the National League uh, GA, you have respect by and large yeah. for officials. At local level, you don't, as we know from several cases that have been very prominent. But in, in rugby, like the ref whips out the yellow card and the player sheepishly walks yeah. towards the touchline. There's no argument. That It's certainly one area that soccer can learn a lot from in terms of rugby. It could, could be a cultural thing. It's just it's just been that, that way for forever. We had Vinnie Perth on our morning show the other day, former Dundalk manager, and he said, you know, even in, in Soccer League of Ireland level, sometimes the referees curse back to players. You know, it's quite a, it's quite a terse, argumentative discussion yeah. between referee and player. 
and maybe that is going to be stamped out but it's going to take a little bit of time Pat you'd imagine yeah. but do you have an insight into why rugby is it just the tradition of rugby that there's I think no it's dissent that's it 100% it's, it's been bred into these players it starts at it's, it starts at under fives rugby if you can start with under fives players I started playing junior soccer when I was up in Monaghan when I was probably six or seven but we were never taught about respect towards officials I'm sure at underage rugby levels that is something that is taught. I'd be interested to hear listeners' views on this because if you're an underage rugby coach or an underage soccer coach, is it something that's that's brought in? Um, I, I don't I don't th- feel like it is for, for for young soccer players in Ireland uh, particularly. But those incidents you mentioned, the GA incidents particularly, horrific things that have happened across the last twelve months of actual assaults on referees and officials in this country that needs to be stamped out and it needs to be started at a at a very very junior level. Yeah, um, what's your view? I mean, we were talking about MMA earlier on, and there's a, a, a text here if I can get it. You know, saying that we're wrong to be uh, suggesting that MMA might have an impact on uh, violence. People blaming MMA for street violence really don't know what they're talking about. I grew up in the 80s and there were always school fights and street fights after nightclubs. Training in martial arts, including MMA, brings discipline, self-control and self-defence skills. Of course, there will be idiots who give these disciplines a bad name, the same as in any sport. Yeah, Um, I fully agree with that text. Uh, like some of the calmest people I've ever met are actual boxers and, and MMA fighters. We had Dennis Hogan in yesterday who's a boxer. He's fighting on the undercard this weekend. He's so calm, especially on fight week. I think it, it definitely teaches a self-control level that, that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have. Because you, you'll you see bo- boxers hugging each other at the end of a bout, having clouted the heads off each other <laughs> for uh, however many rounds it might be in amateur or professional boxing. Uh, they, you know, fall on each other's shoulders yes. and say, well... That was great. It's fully respectful. It's fully yeah. respectful. And I think that's that's certainly something. Like, there are clearly arguments that happen on nights out that's, that are drink fueled. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the most respectful people you'll ever meet, like the fact, the thought that MMA, it's you could make the same argument about video games, you know, uh, I guess being prone to or directed towards violence. You know, a lot of my friends who are fans of MMA aren't necessarily fans of the violence. They're fans of the, the discipline and the sport and the, the technicalities behind some of the moves as well. So uh, to, to argue that it leads to violence, I think, is is incorrect. Shane Hannan from Off The Ball, uh, thank you very much for joining us. And that's all we have time for. A reminder that our items from today are uploaded as podcasts, which you can listen to on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. Just search for The Pat Kenny Show. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.